Welcome to the Michigan Man Podcast on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew for Wolverine fans from coast to coast. Go Blue and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. We continue our preseason previews this week, and our guest is one of the all-time Michigan greats. And if you like Michigan trivia, if someone asks you who was the biggest player to ever play for the Wolverines, if you answer Greg Skrepinik, you are right. Greg joins me on our game day segment in just a minute. First, a few news and notes to get us started. Week three of camp is underway, and here is what we do know. It's down to Wilton Spate and John O'Corn at starting quarterback. Jim Harbaugh is very impressed with his receiving core, especially the true freshman. According to Maurice Hurst and Rashawn Gary, the offensive line is the most improved position group on the team. We're still not sure who is starting, but it sounds like Mason Cole has been sticking at left tackle, while Patrick Kugler fights it out with true freshman Cesar Ruiz at center. Jim said Ben Bredesen is the man at left guard, probably Michael Unwayno at right, flanked by either Jawan Bushel Beatty or John Runyon Jr. The running back competition is fierce, and it sounds like sophomore Chris Evans will get the starting nod, but we'll see plenty of Ty Isaac, Karan Higdon, and even Kareem Walker. Don Brown is set with his front four over on the defensive side, while Mike McCray will start at a middle linebacker spot and probably be joined by Devin Bush Jr. The secondary is where the competition is going full bore. Last week, Coach Brown said he has seven players battling for playing time, and he likes all of them. It sounds like a lot of the position battles on both the offense and the defense, as well as the kicking game, might not be settled for another week or so. And Coach Jim Harbaugh said that is just fine with him. Last week, Jamie Morris gave us his unique perspective on his friend and former teammate Jim Harbaugh. This week, we're joined by another of Jim's teammates, two-time consensus first-team All-American and captain his senior year. Greg Skrepanik joins me next on our game day segment here on The Michigan Man on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. Back with us this week on our Michigan Game Day segment as we continue our previews in anticipation of the fast-approaching season is Michigan great Greg Skrepinik. Great to have you back with us, Greg. Yeah, Mike, always a pleasure. Two weeks of practice in the books as of today, Greg. We're recording on a Monday morning. Uh, The fans, of course, are chomping at the bit to get the season started. I'm sure the players are and the coaches. When you get to this point in preseason training camp where you've been going at it for two weeks, are you just about ready to tee it up and go? Oh, there's no doubt about it. I mean, for the last couple of weeks, all you do is hit within the team, and that gets redundant. It gets, uh, and I'm not going to say boring, but it gets just, uh, you get tired of it. And so you want to hit an opponent. You want to hit somebody on the field when it matters. You want the game, you know, you want the lights to come on, and you want to be under those lights, and you want to play and get out there and, 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 uh, Strut your stuff, so to so to speak, and and just get out there and be able to compete against somebody that's not your own team. Well, last week I had Jamie Morris on the show, your old friend, and we talked about the new NCAA practice rules: one practice per day, one day off during the week, no more double sessions. A lot different than back in the day when you guys were playing. Do you like these new rules? 
<laughs> well, if I was a player, I'd like them. <laughs> if I still played, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I don't, I, you know, the doubles, as long as, you know, I, I would prefer probably uh, one practice pad it, maybe one practice not, or maybe even a conditioning practice. Uh, it's just not enough time. It's not enough time to prepare uh, when you think about it. And I think these coaches today have a really tough challenge with trying to get the time necessary to put a quality team on the field. And so uh, it's great for the players, and I understand why they're doing it. But uh, there is a softness to it as well. I mean, I'm not going to say that our era was tougher than anybody else, but when you're constantly hitting and you're constantly getting ready, you, you develop a toughness that I don't think today's players, not that they're not tough, I just don't think they have the opportunity to develop. So to catch 22, it's good in one sense, it's bad in the other, but it is what it is, and that's what they have to deal with. So, uh, you know, you move forward. Well, Greg, last week the Big Ten Network caravan was in town on Friday. We didn't learn much, didn't expect to, but we did hear uh, from Jim Harbaugh there was separation in the battle for starting quarterback. It now appears to be down to Wilton Spate and John O'Corn. And you would think Wilton still has the inside track to win that job, though, with his experience, wouldn't you? You would think. You would think. Uh, the one thing, Mike, about this team is we're going to talk about is that lack of experience. And uh, that is is going to be a key for this team. And, and I think it's overrated in one sense because the good news is what this team is doing right now is there's competition at every position. There's competition at every position. And Jim Harbaugh has tried to, you know, bring that competition at every position since he came to Michigan a few years back. And by creating that competition, you're keeping everybody interested. You're keeping everybody trying to do their best on every practice, every time they go out there, especially with so many limited practices. You only practice one time a day. These players only have limited opportunity to show their stuff. So now this competition is becoming more intense, it's becoming greater, and everybody's involved. And that's the great thing about this team. However, Wilton Spade gets that little bit of an edge because he has done it before. He's been through a year where he's got that experience, and experience is the greatest teacher. So you would think going into it that uh, Spade would have a little bit of an inside track, but all the stuff that I had heard, is they were really high on Peters before all this stuff, before the separation, before we heard about the separation. So you never know what's going to happen. Uh, I trust if, if there's one position that you know Jim Harbaugh knows, it's the quarterback position, not only as a player, but he's proven it as a coach and how he can develop quarterbacks. So I'm very comfortable with any of these guys that he chooses. But, uh, you know, you think about Wilton Spate, he had a great year last year for the beginning of the year. And then after his injury, he kind of fell off, which is kind of to be expected for a first-year starter. So uh, I would hope he would build on that. But I wouldn't shut down. Uh, I wouldn't give up on John O'Korn yet because uh, if our ball is saying that he's in the mix, he's in the mix. There is a lot of focus on who the quarterback will be. That will continue for the next couple of weeks, rightfully so. But you know the degree of their success hinges on the guys in the trenches. So if we could, Greg, let's talk about your old position, that offensive line, for a bit. Uh, Jim Harbaugh doesn't like depth charts, so this is my best uh, guess on what our depth chart looks like. Uh, Patrick Kugler at center, Michael Unwayno at right guard, Ben Bredesen at left guard, John Runyon Jr. or Jawan Bushel-Beatty at right tackle, 
and a lock is Mason Cole over at left tackle. Do you like this group, Greg? Uh, you know what? Yeah, absolutely. And I want to talk a little bit about Mason Cole, Mike. I think he gets so under the radar, it's not even funny. He is a typical University of Michigan offensive lineman where the only time he gets uh, recognized is if something goes wrong up front, there's a holding call, or if there's last year if there was a bad snap or something like that. But what this kid has done is, 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 is really underrated. I mean, to go to left tackle, then in the center, now back out to left tackle, that's, that's, that's impressive. It's very impressive what he's done. And he's been a mainstay for the last three years. I would expect him to be the leader of this bunch. And, uh, and so um, I, think, uh, I think the fans need to recognize how special of a player Mason Cole is and, and what he's done. And, and I really, really think uh, he's just so underrated. Tim Drevno said last week that Mason Cole can play any position on that offensive line, which is absolutely amazing. But we've seen him play center. I, I've not seen him play guard. And we saw him play left tackle for two years. He is a big-time player, isn't he? There's no doubt about it. What The good news for him is because of his versatility, that will only help him as he moves on into a professional career if he wants to. Uh, he, that'll be a, an extra value to any team he's on. Uh, as he finishes up uh, uh, his Michigan career, it's just an impressive uh, feat. I mean, I played, uh, you know, right tackle or left tackle. And, you know, that's hard enough. But it's the same position. It's the same, you know, basically you're just on a different side of the line. But the schemes are the same. The blocking technique is the same. You know, you're working with the same people, tight ends and guards. So it, it's it's not an easy thing to do, but it's a lot easier than what Mason Cole has done because now you go from an outside position as a tackle in, inside to a center and or guard, the game changes. And I played guard in the NFL, and the game changes. So your techniques change a little bit. Who you're working with change. The calls change. So what he's done is, is so impressive, and I, I can't say it enough that the fans need to recognize this. And most most of the time, they wouldn't think twice uh, unless the offensive line is doing their job. But this guy has done it. Not only has he done it consistently, he's done it well, and he's done it well at every position they ask. And that's the other thing at the University of Michigan. He's, he's he, he personifies exactly what it's all about: the team, the team, the team. Because he's done everything in his power to do what is in the best interest of the team by moving his position, whether it be at left tackle or center. And that's what it's all about. On that offensive line, Greg, let's talk about center for a minute. Patrick Kugler, fifth-year senior, battling for that starting spot. He's been around. He made a a start last year, actually. I think it was in the Indiana game at guard. Uh, He is locked in a battle, from what we hear, with a true freshman, Cesar Ruiz, from uh, down in uh, IMG Academy in Florida. That center position is so important as far as anchoring that offensive line. How would you feel about a freshman actually winning that job? That seems like an awful lot of information to have to process and coordinate that offensive line at a very young age. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. That is a very difficult. It's the quarterback position of the offensive line, and it certainly would seem like a tall order for a freshman. However, here's the way I see it: that when Harbaugh put Mason Cole back at left tackle, he had a very good idea that there was capable people coming in and playing center. And I would say Kugler, and he said that, I thought he had said that Kugler was having a very good camp as well. But there again, here we go with that competition. 
a young kid comes in knowing that there's nothing solidified on the offensive front, and he competes. And what that does is not only gives him a chance, but it makes Kugler a better player. It makes everybody a better player. And that's the beauty of it. Um, but I have no problem with the freshman playing center. It certainly is a tall order, but uh, if he's capable, he's capable. So it's a new game now. It's a different game. Even back, you know, 20, 25 years when I played, freshmen still didn't play that often. They didn't play much unless they were pressed to the service. I know my class in 1987, the recruiting class of 1987, of the, the 20, 25 guys that we had, only two guys saw action as freshmen. That was Dean Dingman and Trip Wellborn. And we wish we had them when we were 50 or seniors because we probably would have been a better team, but they were pressing the service. Now freshmen come to the college campuses expecting to start immediately, not necessarily because they're good enough, but I think they are good enough, but more importantly because this is the culture of college football today. Freshmen are going to see the field faster than they've ever seen it before in the history of college football. And that's the way it is. And this is the way that this is the mindset that every freshman should have coming into camp is that, yeah, I could play. I could get, I could see the field. I could see the field. And so, Hey, if that's the case, you know, I'd love to see it. But I would expect Google to win that position. That would be my, my guess as of now. Well, you know, Greg, you and I have talked about this before seeing so many true freshmen, not just in the Big Ten, all over the country in college football, come in and play. And yes, uh, you would expect the receivers, running backs, secondary, maybe a linebacker can come in. But what in your mind has changed in the last 10 years, 20 years, that now even offensive linemen as 18-year-olds are coming in and starting? What's different? The difference between technique and when I played, it was run first, pass second. Now it's pass first, run second. So when I went into a stance, you you had to get you know you had to use your run stance and get into a pass uh, set from a run stance basically. Now you have to run block from a pass stance, and that's the difference. Uh, if they had to come and, and just basically drive people off the ball, I don't know if they could do it as readily as they you know when it comes to just when the emphasis being on pass blocking. It's not as if pass blocking is easier, although if you're a good athlete, you can move your feet, you're always going to have a chance to compete. So I think the culture has changed to where it was a a run-first game, now it's a pass-first game, so it's given these guys a chance to play immediately because it's a little little, um, easier to pick up on, on, on pass protection, if you ask me. Uh, not necessarily picking up blitzes. I'm just talking about the technique of being able to move your feet and get in front of a defender, whereas it's a little different as you, you're trying to get somebody out of the trenches and you're trying to get all the different techniques and the run blocks and try to get all the defenses down and who's helping you on offense, and, and, you know, who's, uh, the tight end, the guard, the center. If it's a combination block, if it's a zone block, if it's a man block, hey, if it's a pass protection, generally speaking, I, you have that guy, I, you know, you're the guy I have and we're going to block you and try to stay in front and keep you off the quarterback. So I think that's one of the main reasons is that because of the emphasis being on the pass, I think it gives everybody a chance to compete and compete early. And let's face it, kids are going to the NFL uh, quick. They're just going to the NFL. You don't, you don't have – it used to be most of your guys were at, you know, at school for four to five years. 
and that doesn't happen anymore. Uh, guys are there three years and they're gone. Uh, maybe uh, if they were allowed to, probably quicker than that. And so everybody, you know, everybody wants theirs. So they're going to go to the next level if they can. Uh, but you know, it's just the way the game goes now. It's just the way it is, and that's what has evolved over the years. And so we deal with it. Um, personally, I think a scholarship should be a, a minimum four-year requirement. I think a, a tender should not just be a yearly tender. I think it should be a four-year tender. And so we see it in other sports more prevalently, basketball, but even in football, these kids, uh, you know, and Jabril could have been back this year, although I don't blame him for leaving. But that's just the way the way the beast right now. Well, let's talk about some other phases of the offense, if we could, for just a few minutes. Then, Greg, um, it looks like Chris Evans will start off getting the most carries uh, out of the backfield. But we have Karan Higdon, Ty Isaac, Kareem Walker, who we also expect to get some carries. Does it help the offense if you have that one stud back? Is the running back by committee approach just as effective? Well, you speak about culture, and that's the culture of football, not only in college now, but in the NFL. It's a running by committee. And I'm sure Jamie Morris could probably tell you more that uh, the pounding that a running back takes during a season, uh, during a game, uh, if he carries the ball 20, 25, 30 times, um, it's pretty pretty brutal. Uh, And so to save uh, any any runner from that pounding, you want to kind of – Run by committee, and also you give it, you give an opportunity for the defense to see different styles of running, where they have to prepare for different styles of running. So that's an advantage for the offense. However, as an offensive lineman, yeah, I, I mean for for consistency and continuity uh, purposes, I certainly would like to see um, you know that you know that kind of that one runner to get the ball twenty twenty five times just because of, of the timing of it, because you get used to them, you know the style. Uh, as an offensive lineman, you want to know who's behind you and how they run. So maybe by uh, having a running back as committee, you know, might also you know, might throw off the defense and also throws off the offensive line too because there's, there's backs that could see the hole better. There's power backs. Uh, there's, you know, uh, slashers. So, I mean, there's different types of runners that, you know what, if, if it's one guy consistently in the background and you know that's an offensive line, it does become easier uh, to block for, but it's all the same thing. If you get up into your block and you sustain it, um, the running backs usually find the hole and they'll, they'll, they'll make yards. So it is a little, it's a little different, but it is what it is, and uh, I think it's uh, better for football the way it is now with the running back by committee. Well, Greg, it seems we've always had a few big-time receivers to throw to, but at the wideout position right now, we have really incredible depth and competition. I mean, just listen to some of these options. We have Kakoa Crawford, Nate Johnson, Eddie McDoom, Maurice Ways, a true freshman Tariq Black and Donovan Peoples-Jones, Oliver Martin, and Brad Hawkins. They have to show us, of course, what they can do. But can you remember um, in recent memory when we've had this many talented young receivers on the roster at the same time? No, I cannot. I mean, there's always been some guys step up to the forefront. But you listen to Coach Harbaugh, especially talk about his freshmen and the competition they're having right now at the wide, uh, wide receiver position. I mean, and you see how he gets excited. It's, it's hard for a fan not to get excited. And that's we go back, you know, we might not have all this experience, but here are these freshmen coming in, competing, and really making a difference 
uh, as they compete and making you know making this position you know which would have probably be seen as uh, a question mark over this season as a possible strength of this team that's pretty that's pretty pretty impressive uh, in itself and so we'll see how it develops but some of these guys you see some of the highlights on uh, of these practices and some of the catches that have already been made uh, it's one of those things where I look forward to it Mike, most people don't realize last year when Penn State won the Big Ten Championship, you know, everyone talks about their running back and their quarterback. The real, the real reason that Penn State won the Big Ten Championship last year was because of their receivers. Mm-hmm. Because the receivers basically bailed out their quarterback on a lot of scrambles and such, but they made some great plays. And it's, it, you know, they're the reason I believe that Penn State won the Big Ten Championship and went on to the Rose Bowl. So it's the kind of impact that these receivers can have on a team. Um, you can see, you know, it, it gets excited to kind of say, hey, okay, let's get these guys on the field and see what they can do. Yeah, I agree with that. Penn State really had to jump ball receivers. You just throw it up, get it in the area, and they hauled it down. They uh, they had an incredible <laughs> crew last year, no doubt about no, it. No, such an advantage, such an advantage. And, and so uh, – you know, if we could have those kind of you know, that kind of competition, that kind of uh, talent at the receiver spot, oh man, it's good. Wilton Spade or O'Corn are certainly going to like that, and uh, yeah, anybody and Jim Harbaugh is going to love it too because that makes a quarterback's job that much easier. I omitted Grant Perry from the list. I just noticed that, but Grant was reinstated officially back in the program. I think I think it was last week he was officially. Uh, reinstated and he is the most experienced receiver that we have so you have to include him I, I i like everything grant perry does great great blocker downfield and just very reliable hands so he is going to be out in the field a lot too i would guess he would unfortunately he's going to be suspended for a little while you know, yeah. get, you know not play as much as in the beginning i think and that's rightfully so um, but i'm glad he's getting the opportunity to uh uh, to, um, you know, right the wrong, so to speak. And, you know, hey, everybody makes mistakes. And, mm-hmm. and I'm glad to see that he's been reinstated. And, and uh, Ward Manuel and Jim did a great job of, of dealing with that. Uh, but the other, the other thing, I think what most people don't realize, Mike, is that a staple of Michigan wide receiver football isn't necessarily the speed. It isn't necessarily how they catch and get open and touchdowns. But the staple was always blocking. Blocking, blocking, blocking. And anytime you see a Michigan field, you know, uh, a Michigan team take the field, take notice of how the wide receivers block. It's, a, it's an area in which there's great amount of pride taken, you know, on this team for the receivers to block. Because everyone knows, bottom line about football boils down to blocking and tackling. And the emphasis, you know, for receivers were on catching the ball was just as big for blocking. And so that's going to be exciting to see. And, you know, for a guy like Perry, you certainly like to see him out there for his blocking abilities. With us on our game day segment this week, as we continue our previews in anticipation of that Florida opener on September 2nd is Michigan great Greg Skrepinek. Greg Don Brown says his defense won't miss a beat this year. He has said that uh, over and over during the winter, during spring ball. Of course, that is hard to imagine after what we witnessed last year. There are some question marks, but not on that defensive line. Led by Rashawn Gary, this is an incredibly talented group again, isn't it? Oh, there's no doubt about it. Uh, uh, I would say uh, Mo Hurst has had a great camp, and, and I would love to see how this, this line develops. I would, I would expect if there's 
if there's not, you know, if he's, if Coach Brown says there's not going to be a drop off, it's because of this group here. The defensive line is the key, much like the offensive line is the key to the offense. The defensive line is the key to the defense. And so uh, Gary, I mean, Brown, Coach Brown has come out and touted him as 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 legit as could be. So there's a lot of pressure on Rashawn Gary right now to perform and to perform at a high level. But this group, uh, even with the freshmen, uh, listen to Coach Harbaugh, this is the group that's going to be too deep. They're going to be rotating in and out. They're going to be doing the same things we've seen them do the last couple of years, and it's going to be interesting to see. Now, what I would like to see is can they get to the quarterback with just a four-man rush? If they can get to the quarterback with a four-man rush, then this defense is going to be very, very tough uh, because it creates so many different options for a defensive coordinator when just four guys could rush the, you know, rush the passer. Um, whereas if you have to throw in different blitzes or different um, uh, schemes or you know, stunts and stuff like that, it's a different story when just four guys could rush and he could drop, uh, um, drop that. Because the big question mark on this team is the secondary. Having to replace four starters, you, could, you, know, you understand why. So the defensive line has that much more pressure on them to get pressure on the opposing team's quarterback. Well, behind that very talented offensive or defensive front, I should say, is uh, the linebacking core led by Mike McCray, who technically is the only starter returning on that defense. We saw Devin Bush uh, Jr. in the spring game, saw a lot of him last year on special teams, and he looks like the real deal. He's as quick a linebacker as I've seen uh, at Michigan in a long time. Do you think we're okay at those linebacker spots? With those two, absolutely. And you never know who's going to come to the forefront. There's one thing I think Coach Harbaugh mentioned, too, when you're talking about this experience. Now, it's not as if these guys haven't played. It's, you know, they just haven't started. And so when you talk about you lost all these starters, you know what? It's, yeah, it's kind of semantic, so to speak, because a lot of these guys in Michigan's defense have rotated and played a lot of people. And so Michael McCray certainly uh, had a great year last year. Devin Bush got in enough to know. He knows what to expect. It's not as if they're going in there you know, for the first time and they're not going to see any action. And you know, they haven't seen any action before. So I would expect this defense not to be as green as everyone says they are. You know, oh, you know, they haven't played. There's no experience. These guys have played. They've rotated. Now they're just going to be labeled starters. So I would expect the linebacking crew to come uh, to come and, and play just as good, if not better, than they did a year ago. Well, the entire secondary is new, albeit loaded with talent. Are you worried about that new secondary, Greg, at least early in the season? Well, I think you have to be. I think you have to be. Um, you could be as talented as you could be in the secondary, but until you see game action, until you actually see live, uh, live you know, coverages and live uh, competition, it's hard to really get an assessment uh, from this group right now. Now, you listen to you know to them on uh, on you know the internet, you know on TV, and they're all confident. And I certainly believe they're talented, but you know talent can only take you so far. You have to understand and get a feel for what you're doing, and and look at who they have to replace. <laughs> I mean, they uh, they replace a very talented group of, of Michigan players from a year ago with uh, you know with guys that uh, you know are in the NFL now, and so. Uh, it's going to be interesting, but I, I certainly believe they could do it. But it's going to, if there is a question mark for me and and a concern, if I have any area of concern, it would be this group. Just because I know if you talk when you talk from an experience standpoint, 
this is that one of those positions that you know the more experience you have, usually the better. You can have these great cover corners and your your great safeties. Communication is so key back there with those four guys, and that takes time, a lot of times to develop. And as we talked about at the top of the show, they had spring ball, some of them together, but you've got a lot of freshmen uh, in the mix in practice, and it's not as much time as you'd like to get kids ready, but communication is huge back there. You can't overlook that, can you, Greg? Communication in anything, Mike, I mean, in anything you do is key. But when you're talking about a group of guys that have to deal with some of the, the best and fastest, you know, wideouts and skilled players in the country, you know, throughout the Big Ten, yeah, you know, you have to make sure everyone's on the same page. If you've seen some of the you know, breakdowns that we had, Last year on defense, especially the secondary, it was primarily communication problems that caused them with people being in the wrong position and, and out of out of sorts, so to speak. So, yeah, that definitely is, is a key. And and who's going to make those calls? Who's going to communicate? I mean, these guys are just feeling their way. And I've seen uh, there, there is a, a couple guys there that played last year, a couple guys trying to step up and stuff. But until you get on the field to actually go through that, and see how it goes, you, you just don't know. But, I mean, Coach Brown has been in this game a lot longer than I have, and I'm very confident that if he believes that his defense isn't going to skip a beat, that they're pretty, you know, they're pretty good, and they're going to, you know, they're going to do everything they can to uh, keep everybody out of the end zone. And the nice thing about it is, as the season goes on, they get that experience, so they should just get better and better and better and better. Well, as we uh, know, the Florida opener just two weeks away, and we learned Sunday uh, Florida has suspended seven players for the opener against us. Only two of them are starters, both on the offensive side and offensive lineman, and they're uh, uh, Galloway, their receiver, their star receiver. Still, this is a darn good football team. Do you think that game is going to tell us a lot about this Michigan team, or is it too early to put that kind of stock into the first game of the year? I think somewhere in the middle. I think it's uh, half and half. I I don't really want to put too much stock in the first game. Uh, it's unfortunate uh, what just happened with the Florida players because that takes away from the game. That's going to get the most attention, you know, seven players suspended. And we're going to hear that now all the way up until uh, the start of the game and probably even after the game if it has some kind of impact on it. Uh, but I think, you know, the first game, I mean, when I played, you know, one of our first games every year was Notre Dame. And, you know, Notre Dame game, you win, you know, there's going to be a winner, there was going to be a loser. But that wasn't going to dictate what happened the rest of the season. Uh, and so um, I think it's, 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 uh, it's very tough to say that this, we're going to put it all on one game to see where this team is going to be. Um, but I do believe it's going to be a good, it's going to give you a good indication on how good this team can be. And so we'll see. I mean, it's exciting that uh, they are playing that caliber team in a, in a culture now that you see college football starting to eliminate these these patchy games, so to speak, to start off your season down in Dallas against Florida. That's doesn't get any better than that. And so these kids you know, should be excited. These kids are going to have an experience second to none. They're going to go down to Jerry's world and, and uh, one of the biggest and best stadiums in the country, and play one of the you know one of the traditionally powerhouse college football teams. Hey, that's what it's all about. Well, looking past that Florida game, which we uh, as fans can do, not as players. The Big Ten East very very tough this year, Greg. 
Penn State looks to be the real deal, and they come loaded from last year after a very impressive end to the season and a great Rose Bowl game against Southern Cal. And of course, everyone thinks Ohio State is a playoff team. Whoever wins the East is going to be a very good football team, aren't they? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, if, if you look at how they set up uh, you know, these teams, you're talking about traditionally you got three of the best college football teams of all time when you go record. I mean, three of the best college football teams of all time in one division. <laughs> so you know it's going to be very difficult. Then you have, you know, Michigan State as well. So, I mean, it's not as if, you know, you're not playing great competition and any one of these teams could beat you on any given, you know, Saturday. So, yeah, it's going to be difficult. But I'll tell you what, Mike, I, I watched last year, I was re-watching a little bit of the Ohio State game, and, and this is what I believe. And I watched that game. We didn't lose to Ohio State. We beat ourselves that game, particularly in two turnovers that cost us, you know, 14 points. One was a pick six, and one was you know inside the you know the uh, red zone that allowed you know gave Ohio State a score. Now I mean I know a lot of teams could say that, but that's a good thing. You know what? Not not getting beat compared to just beating yourself. Now if we could you know could limit those mistakes, and we could you know let you know, let the talent and let you know all everything be you know be resolved on the field. And I think that Michigan's going to be in a good spot. However, if we do make those mistakes and we have turnovers and missed assignments and mental errors, then, uh, then you know, things won't fall our way. But we eliminate those mistakes. We play as, as, as good as you could and, and as Michigan football, uh, you, know, you know, plays and how Coach Harbaugh and his staff prepares you. Yeah, we're going to be in for a, a pleasant surprise with this team because I know there's right now a lot of question marks simply because – we haven't seen these guys consistently on the field, but Coach Harbaugh has done a great job in recruiting, and so I think we'll be in the mix of it the whole year. Well, last week, Greg, I know everyone's busy, but uh, there are a lot of interesting stories that float around this time of the year because, of course, all the teams are preparing, and it's uh, sort of dull for the media, so they have to come up with things. Uh, <laughs> last week, Dabo Swinney, uh, Clemson's head coach, was on a radio talk show. I think it was down there. And he mentioned that after he watched tape on Ohio State in preparation for the playoff game, he got to see not only Ohio State, but a lot of the Big Ten. And he thought the Buckeyes, he told his staff, were in trouble uh, when it came to playing Clemson after what he saw. So, I mean, he didn't say it outright, but he more or less said that the Big Ten was overrated. Do you think that's true, or is he just way off base? Uh, All these guys that like to talk, that's all they do is talk. I mean... Uh, you know, they listen, congratulations to them, you know what, they had a nice run to it and all this other stuff, but it's just, everyone wants to claim and tout theirs, theirs. And for years I've been saying this, the Big Ten has been the leaders and and the best in in all the stuff that they've done. They've been innovators. They're the ones that came out with the TV network first. They're very solidified in what they do. Everybody wants to be the Big Ten. And so if you're not in the Big Ten, that means you want to be like the Big Ten. You know, so one of the reasons is there to knock the Big Ten. If you don't, you know, unless you want to be part of the Big Ten or you want to do it like the Big Ten does. So it's just one of those things where, hey, the SEC had to run. I think that run is pretty much over. Um, but they're very good football conference. They're very good players. They have, a, you know, listen, uh, to not say they, you know, they aren't, 
would be an, uh, would be wrong because they are. But the Big Ten is just as good. I mean, you look at all the the players that get drafted from the Big Ten. We had eleven it was eleven Michigan guys got drafted in the mm-hmm. NFL. So I mean, it, it's there. The competition's there. But let me tell you this: this is what all these Southern coaches don't want to talk about. Hey, Dabo. Why don't you bring your team up and play for two months in November and December in the Big Ten Elements? And then tell me how good your team is. Let's see them play in the Elements and not in that nice weather all year round or in those indoor stadiums and in that nice weather. Come on up when it's snowing and it's, you know, sub, you know, 20 degrees outside or when, you know, when it's raining and it's freezing cold rain where you can't feel your hands. Come up and bring your team up then, Dabo, and then let's talk about how good the Big Ten is. Yeah. That's one thing that people never talk about when it's talk about Northeast and Midwest football is the elements. The elements play such a key role in Big Ten football that that always goes overlooked simply because, you know, well, it's not as pretty sometimes. Well, it's not going to be as pretty, Mike. It's just the way it is. It's the way the weather, you know, the weather is in 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 the Big Ten country during uh, you know, November or December. And so that definitely plays a major role and has a major impact on how the outcome of our game. I agree with you 100% on that. Last question for you, Greg. Jim Harbaugh has uh, been back for two years now, and it has been a ride. I think we all agree with that. A lot of fun. And I guess you could even say it's still the honeymoon phase when it comes to uh, the fans and the Jim Harbaugh era of Michigan football. Do you think that changes this year if this team struggles some and, heaven forbid, loses again to Ohio State? I know that Coach Harbaugh understands why he came to Michigan. And I I know that uh, the precedent is on winning and winning divisions and winning Big Ten championships. Uh, The precedent at at Michigan has always and will always be to win the Big Ten championship. And so, yeah, I I understand that. He understands that that's, that's what he was brought in to do. And uh, and so yeah, if if something were to happen where you know you know the team uh, didn't take you know those steps in that direction, sure you're going to have the naysayers come out and, and get all on them. But uh, realistically, he's far, so far ahead of schedule that uh, it would it would be ludicrous in a sense to see uh, if they if they did have a little heat cup and, and take a step backwards to say that. Uh, uh, he's not going in the right direction because he is. He is. He's just so ahead of schedule that everyone has these higher expectations. Well, listen, the expectations at Michigan have always been high. They will always be high. And I don't have, I don't think Jim Harbaugh and his staff have a problem with them being high. They expect to take the field every time they play and win. That's just the way it is. And if you don't, you shouldn't play. And when they don't, of course, everybody gets on them. But Listen, what he's done in the last two years has been short of magnificent. And you know, with a couple of plays here and there, they're right in the thick of things. They're very easily could have won that Ohio State game. Not, you know, if they don't turn the ball over. But, hey, if the referee spots that just a, a, an inch or two the other way, they beat Ohio State. So, I mean, we're right there, and, and he certainly – you know, he certainly has a little bit of pressure on him, I think, to beat Ohio State. That's what everybody wants. But Jim Harbaugh, he has done a magnificent job. His staff has done a magnificent job. And uh, I'm confident that they will continue to do a great job. And this team will be in the thick of things. And if things it doesn't, you know, uh, it doesn't uh, get, you know, where we need to go, 
it's going to happen. It's just going to happen. And I think this is kind of one of those seasons, Mike, where you just don't know. It's like he's come out of the last two seasons. He had a little bit of upper class, but now his teams totally are taking over. His recruiting classes are totally taking over. So this year is that pivotal year to where now, as of next year, he'll have his first full class at the University of Michigan. And uh, and we'll see where he takes it then. So now there will always be those naysayers, but uh, I'm confident that Jim Harbaugh and his staff will do another marvelous job this year. My guest on this week's show has been Michigan great Greg Skrepinik. As always, a uh, pleasure to have you on the show, Greg. And we uh, look forward to getting you back during the season to share your thoughts on how things are going. So uh, until then, enjoy what's left of summer and go blue. Mike, always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. And go blue. Quick Hits is next as we wrap it up for another week here on The Michigan Man on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. On Quick Hits today, at least so far, we have had no injuries reported through the first two weeks of practice. Let's hope it stays that way. Thanks again to Michigan great Greg Skrepinik for being our guest today. Greg could talk Michigan football all day, especially offensive line play, and he is a great guy, great guest. Greg will be back with us during the season. You can count on it. Next week, my scheduled guest is Shemi Schembechler. We can't go through the month of August and all of these preview shows without getting Shemi's thoughts on the coming season and about the great work he's doing with his latest endeavor, GES Advisory. So make sure you tune us in next week for Shemi Schembechler. I'm hoping to have a Michigan Man Extra for you later this week with Steve Lorenz from 24-7 Sports. If we can get Steve in here, we'll do our August recruiting update and get his thoughts on the latest Michigan football news. I'll give you a heads up on Facebook and Twitter a day or so before the show publishes. With the season fast approaching, make sure you have our free show app from the Google Play or iTunes stores. You can also hear us on Stitcher, iHeart, TuneIn, and Wolverine Sports Radio. If you get the show from iTunes, please take a minute to rate or comment on us. Thank you in advance. That will do it for this week's show. We're just two weeks away from the opening of the season, so make sure you join us each week as we continue our preview shows. And then the week of the Florida game, we'll have our game day feature with one of our writers. And later in the week, the visitor's edition with Florida's beat writer or play-by-play voice. I'm still actually in the process of setting up interviews, so I will let you know as soon as I do. Have a great Wolverine week, everyone. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. Until next time, take care, and as always, go blue. Thanks for joining us today on The Michigan Man, here on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network, and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. Our listener lines are open 24-7 for your calls at 313-263-4842. That's 313-263-4842. Or email us at themichiganmanpodcast at yahoo.com. That's themichiganmanpodcast at yahoo.com. The Michigan Man Podcast is produced at the studios of Robin Lynn Productions, Allen Park, Michigan, and is not affiliated with the University of Michigan. Go Blue!